Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories from Roy's Diner. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Two great stories for you tonight. The first, the after-dinner story, about a man whose son died mysteriously in an elevator with four other passengers. The police believed it was suicide. He believes it was murder. And a year later, he invites the four men who were in the elevator with his son to a very unusual dinner. Our second story is Backseat Driver. And in this case, a killer appears in the back seat of a couple's car, and they try desperately to find a way to stay alive. Both stories from the classic radio show, Suspense. And now our stories. This is the Man in Black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. With us in Hollywood tonight as star is Mr. Otto Kruger, whose career on the screen and on the stage has afforded him a precisely equal number of appearances as a character on the right and on the wrong side of the law. Whether the man Mr. Kruger portrays tonight is devil or saint, we shall leave for you to judge when the play is over. It is called After Dinner Story. The author is Cornell Woolrich, the radio adapter Robert L. Richards. And so, with the performance of Otto Kruger as Mr. Hardecker, who told this extraordinary after-dinner story, we again hope to keep you in... Suspense! Mr. Hardecker's residence. I, I believe I'm expected for dinner, please. Your name, sir? Uh, Ken Shaw is my name. Very good, sir. Mr. Hardecker... Mr. Kenshaw, sir. Ah, number one. Good evening, Mr. Kenshaw. Is this where Mr. Hardecker lives? My name is Lambert. Mr. Hardecker? Mr. Lambert. Number two. Uh, my name is Prendergast. I think I... Uh, Mr. Hardecker? Mr. Prendergast. Number three. Mackenzie's the name. Mr. Hardecker? Mr. Mackenzie. Number four. One, two, three, four. So you're all here, gentlemen? Yes. Then suppose we go into dinner. And after dinner, I shall tell you why you are here, what I have in mind. In fact, I shall tell you in the form of a story. A sort of after-dinner story. Well, gentlemen, did you enjoy your dinner? Yeah, well, well, yeah. Then, uh, if you'll excuse me for just a moment, I have certain instructions to give the servants, and after that, I shall rejoin you. I shan't be long. Certainly. Well, what did that crack mean? Certain instructions to the servants. How should I know? I, I don't like the looks of the whole thing. Why all the mystery? Well, I suggest that you have patience, Mr. Prendergast. Mr. Hardecker clearly intends to tell us in his own good time. Yeah. And and another thing. I don't eat in those fancy Park Avenue joints as a rule myself, but I've seen them in the movies. They always pass the food around to everybody. They don't just don't bring it out of the kitchen already on your plate and just hand it to you. Well, what possible difference can that make? Well, I don't know, but I know it ain't right. Oh, None of it's right. Why does a man invite four perfect strangers to dinner? 
What is this thing he, he has in mind for us he keeps talking about? Well, all I know, he says he'll make it worth our while, and I can use a little of that worth your while stuff the way business has been lately. Obviously, the connection between us is that we were all in that elevator a year ago. Oh, what of it? There's no mystery about that. The police cleared that up the very next day. Maybe Mr. Hardiker doesn't think so. Sorry to have kept you, gentlemen. Now, suppose we get down to business. Uh, Mr. Hardiker, none of us wish to seem rude, but we were just wondering what this business is all about. You have had, uh, you had come to the obvious conclusion, of course, that it has to do with my son. Well, yeah. I don't see why we're... Uh, we're all sorry, naturally, but that's all over and done yes, with, and I... Yes, uh, almost. But there yeah. are one or two little details that I thought you gentlemen might help me to clarify. Oh, sure. Oh, oh well. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Well, then, if you don't mind, I know you must remember most of it, but it's almost a year ago. I'd like to go over the whole story from the beginning. Well, well that's all right. All right. Well, it was just about... Just before five in the afternoon on August 30th of last year when the matter which concerns us here this evening had its beginning. And on that day, and at that time, all four of you, perfect strangers, who had never seen each other before in your lives, found yourselves, for personal and business reasons of your own, on various floors of the Norfolk building in midtown Manhattan, waiting for the express elevator to take you to the lobby. The first passengers were on the 21st floor. 21, going down, please. Express car, going down. There are now three men in the elevator. The operator, Mr. Kenshaw and Mr. Lambert, who had gotten on at the 21st floor. 18, going down, please. Face the doors, please. Going down. Now there are five men in the car. Mr. Prendergast and Mr. McKenzie had entered the elevator at the 18th floor. Fifteen. Express car to the lobby. Go on down, please. Say hello to Eleanor for me. You bet. Bye, Dad. Bye. Six men in the elevator. The last to enter, I had accompanied to the elevator door myself. He was my son. <laughs> These things drop pretty fast. Too fast for me. Hey, this baby is moving. <laughs> Look! You can't stop it. We're out of What's control. Out of Look out. We're going to hit. Anybody, uh, anybody got a match? I think my leg's broken. Get me out of here. I got a wife and kids. Somebody get me out of here. Get Shut me out of here. Shut up a minute, can't you? You're not the only one with a wife and kids. Has anybody got a match? I've got to get this door open. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't have it. I'm to suffocate in here. These things are practically airtight. Yeah. Uh, Where's the operator? Uh, operator? He's over here. I, I can feel the braid on his coat against my hand. Oh. Hey, what about it, bud? You got a match so I can see what I'm doing here? Uh, hey, operator. He's, he's dead. Dead? Why doesn't somebody come? What's the matter with him? Why did they come? Pipe down, will you? Pipe down. 
There. There, I got it. Now we'll get a little air anyway. Oh, there's a light up there somewhere. Yeah. I can hear voices. There, you hear them? Help! Help! Say, there's no use shelling your head off. They know we're down here. Yeah. I wish my leg didn't hurt so bad. Oh, let's see. Uh, I try wrapping your shirt around it tight. It may stop some of the pain. Thanks. Yeah, easy. Uh, now what? Nothing. Just sit and wait. That's all. Why don't they hurry? What are they waiting for? Why don't take they hurry? Take it easy. Take it easy. You could be worse off. Worse off? Yeah. Like this poor guy, the operator. He's dead. And so you waited. Six men, five living, one dead. I know how it must have been for all of you, the minutes dragging by there in the darkness with nothing to do but wait. How's your leg? Better. How long do you suppose we've been down here? Well, it's hard to tell. Maybe they think we're all dead. Maybe they're just taking their time. Don't Maybe... worry. They heard you hollering all right. But I heard... Gee, the, the poor guy. I, I wonder if he had any kids. The operator? Yeah. I often wondered sometimes what would happen if one of these things ever slipped. Well, now you know. I'll never ride in one again. So he's going to walk up 68 stories to the Rainbow Room. I don't go to the Rainbow Room. Oh, I'm certainly glad my father didn't get on this car with me. He was going to, but he changed his mind. Wish I'd changed my mind. You know, if I hadn't gone back to make a phone call, I'd have been on another car. What's the use of wishing? Okay, it's happened, and here we are. <laughs> Listen, there they are. They're going to get us out. Yeah. Hello. Hello up there. Yeah, yeah, we're coming to you. Take it easy. Hurry, can't you hurry? Hurry. Oh, we, uh, we'll hurry. Anybody hurry? Yeah, one guy's dead. Oh. We'll be through to you in a minute. Okay, Roddy, let it on now. Look, look at that light up there. Acetylene torches. Yeah, they're going to cut a hole in the roof. What a racket. Oh, I'm nearly deaf already. Listen, you guys. We're coming through, see? Watch out for spots. Shut your eyes and stand back against the wall. Okay. I never knew those things made so much noise. It's because we're closed in. No! No! What was that? Well, I don't know. I, I thought I heard somebody holler. Yeah, so did I. Must have been one of those guys up above. Those sparks are enough to blind you. Well, don't look at them. They will blind you. One went right by in front of my face, right across the car. <laughs> they couldn't have. They're dropping down. Did you see it? It was awful bright. Oh, just a reflection. Don't look at it. I I guess I guess they got it cut through. Phew, yeah. They couldn't have stood much more of that. <laughs> They're pulling off the top. It won't be long now. <laughs> All right. Stand clear down there. I'm going to jump down. Hey, cop. And no cop ever looked lovelier. All right. Pass them ropes down now. Okay, hold it. All right. Who's first now? Who's the worst hurt of you all? How about this fellow? And that's the operator. He's dead. Hey, look. Those other two guys have both passed out. Yeah, shocking, yes. Officer, I've got to get out of here. I feel pretty bad. Hey, hold I... your horses. There's nothing wrong with you. But I... That man's got a broken leg. There. Who's got a broken leg? I... I have, I think. All right. Can you sit in this rope sling here? I'll try. Now, hang on with both your hands. Uh, I'll be all right. 
Okay. Pull him up. Well, so long, fellas. Take care of that leg. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. My name's Lambert. And mine's Mackenzie. Maybe we'll run into each other sometime. Yeah. Well, so long. All right, let me have that rope now. Well, who's next now? Well, maybe you better take those two guys that passed out. They might be hurt. Why, sure. How about this young fella? Sure. Uh, he got a little blood on him, hasn't he? He has that. Glass from the light fixtures, I guess. Well, I don't think it's serious. Mm, you don't, eh? No, he seemed to be all right. Well, whatever he seemed to be, he's not now. This man is dead. Dead? Oh, but he can't be. Look here, my lads, you don't seem to realize that you've come through a pretty serious accident. Well, I know, but he can't be dead. We heard him talking just a few minutes ago, isn't that right? Yes, I heard him. Well, sure, he was talking to us here in the dark. He said something about being glad his father wasn't on this elevator. I can't help what he said or what you heard him say. This man is dead. My son, who had survived the original accident without apparent injury, was dead. You gentlemen were more fortunate. You lived. Five days later, you four met again. It was a police headquarter. About 2.30 on a Friday afternoon. The last to arrive was Mr. Lambert. In here, Mr. Lambert. Thanks. Hello there. Thanks, fellas. Hey, how's the leg? Pretty good. Mr. Lambert? That's right. I'm Chief Inspector McMahon. How do? We'll uh, just take a seat there. Well, we all here now? Mr. Kenshaw, yes. Mr. Pendergast, Mr. Yes. McKenzie, That's Mr. Me. Lambert. Yes, sir. Well, now, as I told each of you over the phone, I won't keep you very long. I just wanted to ask a few routine questions about that business of the elevator the other day. Well, what's the matter? Something phony about it? Uh, not for our money. It's an open and shut case. Suicide. Suicide? Suicide. Yeah. You mean the operator wanted to bump himself off so oh, he could... Oh, no, no, no. Not the operator. He died of a fractured skull. It's young uh, Hardiker we're interested in. His father's been raising a row, so we said we'd investigate, but... Uh, I still don't get well, it. Wesley Hardiker was killed by a thirty-two caliber bullet through the heart. What? You couldn't have him. You mean he, he killed himself right in that car with all of us... Hmm? What else? The... He wasn't shot when he walked in, and he was dead when we brought him out. Unless uh, one of you killed him. Oh, no. Any of you know him? No. No? Well, then there you are. Even the father had to admit that as far as he knew, his son had never seen any of you before in his life. But it don't make sense. What don't make sense? Well, I mean, a guy shooting himself in an elevator with four other people that nobody didn't even know it. Did uh, any of you hear the shot? Not before they started the blow torches. I could swear to that. Couldn't have heard one anyway. Yeah, you see. Hey. Wait a minute. Did you hear something? No. But Mackenzie, remember I said when I was laying on the floor of the elevator that I thought I saw a spark from one of those blowtorches that went across the car instead of falling down? That's right. Anybody else see it? The blowtorches were absolutely blinding. You couldn't see a... Uh, how about you, Mr. Kenshaw? Uh, I'm afraid that I fainted or something silly like that. I'm not a very strong person. Well, it was probably the gunshot, all right. Nothing very mysterious about it. The gun belonged to young Hardiker, licensed in his name, and had only his own fingerprints on it. Well, maybe I shouldn't ask, but why did he do it? The official verdict is suicide while of unsound mind. He seemed all right. He talked to us perfectly sensibly just before it happened. Just goes to show. You never can tell, can you? Oh, he'd always been nervous and highly strung. We got that out of his father. The strain of being down in that black pit was just too much for him, that's all. Oh, what, what a terrible thing. 
to break down just as we were about to be rescued. Yeah, it's too bad. Boys seem to have everything to live for, too. But we find that sort of thing all the time. The, the noise, I suppose. I've read of cases of nervous breakdown caused by noise. Yeah, that's it. Well, I guess I don't need to keep you gentlemen any longer. Well, I'm certainly glad there were no complications. Oh, don't worry. If one of you had anything to do with it, you'd be back in the cell right now. That was almost a year ago. Last week, each of you received a phone call from me. I can well understand and sympathize with the fact that you were somewhat astonished, perhaps a little suspicious of what you heard. I don't doubt that most of you debated at some length in your minds the advisability of accepting my invitation at all. You, for instance, Mr. McKenzie, you are married, as I remember. I imagine that you talked quite seriously with your wife about the whole affair. I phoned your home, I believe, at about 8.30 last Monday evening. Yes? Uh, this is Mr. McKenzie speaking. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't seem to place you. Oh, oh of course, Mr. Hardigan. Well, frankly, I don't see the point. You don't know me, and I don't know you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see. Well, all right, Mr. Hardiker. I'll be there. That's a funny name. Who was it, dear? His name is Hardiker. The father of that boy who killed himself in the elevator last year. Oh? Well, what did he want? <laughs> he wants me to come to dinner with him on Saturday at his home. Why, how lovely. He's a very important man, isn't he? Did he ask both of us? No. As a matter of fact, he's asking the four men who were in that elevator with his son when he, when he died. What a strange idea. Seems sort of, of gruesome to me. Yeah, that's what I thought. Didn't he say anything? Oh, he said quite a lot. Well, what did he say? I was just thinking... Oh, now, please, Stephen. Don't sit there and be so tantalizing. What did he say? Well, he said something about his son's estate. Seems his son had quite a lot of money in his own right. The old man said he didn't need it, and there weren't any other relations, and... Well, he sort of hinted that he thought it might be a good idea to split it up between the four men who were with his son in his last moments of life, as he put it. How wonderful. Why aren't you excited? How much is it? Do you suppose it's a lot of money? Mm, I don't know. Why, it might be several thousand dollars. It might be several hundred thousand dollars. Oh, Stephen, what's the matter with you? Well, just such a crazy thing to do, that's all. I don't see that that makes any difference. If a man wants to do a nice, kind, generous thing... Look, honey, if it was generosity, he'd give it to charity. If it was a sort of memorial to his son, he'd... Well, he'd set up a scholarship or build a hospital or something. Well? The old man was pretty broken up about it when it happened. I remember reading something about his being in a sanitarium for a while afterwards. And he never did believe the verdict of suicide. The police as much as told us that at the time. How do I know he doesn't think one of us killed the boy? Oh, that's absurd. All right. But anybody who's crazy enough to divide up a wad of dough between four perfect strangers is crazy enough to think a perfect stranger killed his son. Oh, why, that... Maybe he thinks we all did it. Maybe he's wacky and has some crazy idea about revenge and is going to use the dough as bait to get us all together. I hadn't thought of it like that. Perhaps you ought not to go. I already said I would. Oh, anyway, maybe it's on the level. Stephen, do you still have that gun you used to have when you worked at the bank? 
Yeah, I have it there. I think you ought to take it with you Saturday night. Honey, I think you've got something there. I think that's a very good idea. And so, gentlemen, I'm quite gratified that you all saw fit to accept my rather unique invitation and that we are all here together this evening. Uh, by the way, Mr. McKenzie, I'm afraid I must ask you to give me that gun that you brought along. So that's it. And, uh, Mr. McKenzie, you will notice that one of my servants who is standing in the door directly behind you has uh, got you covered, is the phrase, I believe. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Thank you. How did you know? Why, the butler sort of patted all your pockets when he removed your coats, but aside from that, I've spent most of my waking hours during the past year looking into the backgrounds of all you gentlemen. So I was right about this setup after all. Now, look here, Mr. Hardecker. I came here tonight in perfectly good faith. I even cancel a very important business appointment. With Mr. Joseph Donahue of Celluloid Products. Yeah. All right, let's cut out the mystery. What's this all about? Yes, really, what's Mr. the idea? No, wait a minute. One moment, gentlemen, one moment. But I... I didn't ask you up here under false pretenses. I fully intend to divide my son's estate precisely as I suggested over the phone. I sincerely hope you don't resent my investigation of your backgrounds. Well, gee, Mr. Hardecker, I... My background isn't much, I guess, but uh, perhaps we all owe you an apology, Mr. Hardacre, but you must admit the whole thing's been a little strange. It has indeed been very strange. I think, however, that that phase of the matter is about over. Now, before we get down to business, there is one detail that I'd like you to help clear me up. Well, sure. Shall I, uh, shall I bring it in now, sir? If you please. Uh, is it well mixed? Yes, sir. In the center of the table. Thank you, Johnson. Now, please see that we are not disturbed on any account whatsoever. Yes, sir. Say, that looks good. What is it? Oh, it's got quite a number of things in it. White of egg, mustard, milk. <laughs> it sounds like an antidote for poison. It is an antidote for poison. A what? Gentlemen... There is a murderer in this room. One of you killed my son and hasn't paid for it yet. Oh, don't be a fool. The coroner's verdict was suicide. This is not a discussion, Mr. McKenzie. This is an execution. I, I'm, I'm getting out of here. There is a man with a gun outside each door. You'll find them very unreceptive to that idea, Mr. Prendergast. Sit down. He's got us. Well, I... The only thing we can do is try to talk a little sense I'm it. not open to arguments, Mr. McKenzie. One of you killed my son. I know who that man is. It's taken me a year to find out, but I now know. The food that man ate tonight was poison. Yeah, now, but... but In poison. ten minutes, he'll drop dead. You can't take the law into your own hands that way. You're, you're... Unfortunately, the law demands a very specific type of evidence. The police, whom I consulted repeatedly, do not believe it possible to get a conviction on the evidence I have. And therefore, the conviction must come tonight. Well, you wouldn't dare. You couldn't kill a man in cold blood that way. There is an alternative, Mr. Prendergast. Hmm? It is there in the center of the table. The antidote. Oh. The murderer may either confess his crime by drinking the contents of that bowl, or he may keep silent and go to his death here tonight privately executed for what cannot be publicly proved. But they could send you to the chair for that. I am quite aware of that contingency, Mr. Crenshaw, and quite willing to accept the consequences. 
but the murderer will have gone to his death before me. But how do we know you poisoned the right... The murderer knows, Mr. Prendergast. The rest need have no fear. Hey, I think the guy's crazy. Maybe he poisoned all of us. Look, Mr. Hardiker, this whole thing is insane. Nobody killed your son. As to that, we shall shortly see, Mr. McKenzie. The man who killed my son has approximately uh, seven minutes to live. Seven minutes? It's me. I know it's me. He's poisoned. My whole insides are on fire. It's I me. I don't poisoned. fall for it unless you're sure. The whole thing may be a gag. I assure you, nothing has ever been more serious, Mr. McKenzie. You know, you know I, I don't feel so good myself. Neither do I. Probably just indigestion. After dinner, a story like this is enough to give indigestion to a horse. No kidding. Hey, supposing this guy's a maniac. Suppose he just made it all up in his own head and poisoned all of us. Listen, Mr. Hartigan. Let me just tell you this. If I come out of this alive, I'm going to beat your brains out of it. It's the last thing I, I do. I can't stand it. Mr. Hardiker. I didn't do it. I swear I didn't. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Shut up. Five more minutes. Hey, I feel awful. Maybe we all ought to take some of that stuff, just in case. Yeah, that's it. We'll all take it. Yeah? Who'll take it first? Unfortunately, gentlemen, there's only enough antidote for one... Even if you're right, Hardiger, this is no way to do... This is my way. You're crazy, I tell you, crazy! Perhaps. Have you a son? Look! Uh, Kenshaw! Will it save me? Well, gentlemen, now you know... All right. All right, what do I care? I killed him. And I do it again. I hated him. Hated him. All my life. In school, in college, he never even knew that I existed. He was too good for someone like me. And he had everything. everything. Money, everything. And he married the girl that I loved. She didn't know how I felt. I, I never told her. And then, and then, then she died. Pneumonia, they said. She wouldn't have died if she hadn't married him. So I killed him. I, I saw him get into the elevator. And then it fell. It fell. It, it was as though God had delivered it into my hand. It came to me there in the dark. I, I, I choked him. I choked him and then, then he got out his gun. And I put my hand over his and I turned it against him and fired Look, help him, somebody. Help him. Here, hold up his head. Here. Never mind. He's dead. It, it, it didn't work in time. You killed him, Hardiker. No, I didn't. I tell you, he's dead. Yes, I know. But what he drank was not the antidote. It was the poison. The poison? You see, I didn't exactly know which of you killed my son. I only knew that one of you must have. And so Robert Kenshaw convicted himself in front of all of you and was his own executioner. Well, then he was never poisoned at all until... Until he drank the contents of that bowl. Gee. I shall divide the estate, gentlemen, as I promised. Meanwhile, you may call the police if you like. 
that the law and divine providence decide whether this man died by my hand or by the guilt that lay upon his own soul. And so closes After Dinner Story by Cornell Woolrich, starring Otto Kruger. Tonight's tale of Suspense. This is the man in black who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next week, same time, when our star will be Gene Lockhart in the suspense play called Statement of Employee Henry Wilson. The producer of suspense is William Spear, who tonight also directed the broadcast, and who with Lud Gluskin and Lucian Marowick, conductor and composer, and Robert L. Richards, the radio author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. Make a note on your calendar. That... And now, Autolite and its 60,000 dealers and service stations present... Suspense. Autolite brings you Fibber McGee and Molly in Backseat Driver. Suspense play produced and directed by Anton M. Leader. Looks like old home week on suspense tonight. Old home week, Cap? Well, I wouldn't say that. Not with millions of Autolite resistor spark plugs finding new homes in every make of car in America. <laughs> I know, Harlow. I, I meant old home week because... Why, Cap, there just isn't going to be any old or new home for more and more narrow gap spark plugs because they're being replaced in their old homes by wide gap Autolite resistor spark plugs. With Autolite resistor spark plugs, your car, my car, Fibber's car, everybody's car... Idle smoother, gives better performance with lean gas mixtures, saves gas dollars, and cuts down spark plug interference with radio and television reception. There's one way for every car to be spark plugged right, with Autolite resistor spark plugs. Only Autolite offers car and truck owners everywhere the sensational advantages of the resistor type spark plug. And now, Autolite presents Fibber McGee and Molly in a tale well-calculated to keep you in suspense. It can't happen to you. You read about stuff like that in the papers. Girls murdered and mutilated, drunks left dying in the gutter for the handful of change they had in their pockets, lonesome old men tortured because some hoodlum gets the idea they're misers with a pot of gold hidden under the floorboards of the shack. Sure, you know it's real, but... It can't happen to you. Oh, you get your fair share of trouble. I've been a professional man here in Los Angeles for 30 years. I've met up with bums and grifters and petty sharpers. They're around in any business. But the viciousness, the real deep-down dirt, that's for somebody else. You do your work and go home to your family. And for a real bang-up evening to break the monotony, you take your wife out to a movie. That's what I did that Saturday night. 
We'd driven all the way in from the San Fernando Valley to Beverly Hills for a picture Ellie especially wanted to see. Wasn't that a good movie, Joe? Uh-huh. Just the kind I like. Songs and dancing and girls in pretty clothes. Oh, I get so tired of cops and robbers. <laughs> What's wrong with cops and robbers? Oh, you know what I mean. Murder movies. Honestly, all the policemen stupid and all the crooks sneering out of the corners of their mouths. Yeah, and... the stuff those Hollywood boys dream up. You'd think the streets were knee-deep in blood and you couldn't hear yourself think for machine guns. Yeah. Well, here we are, honey. You get in first. Okay. All right, Ellie? Well, now, just a second. All right, Joe. Don't forget the gas. I got plenty to take us out to the valley. I'll fill up at Bill's. <laughs> you remember how that song goes, Joe? What song? In the picture. You know, Two on the Moon. The one the boy sang to the girl. Oh, that one. Let's see. Ah, heck, I don't know. Oh, well. We'll be hearing it again on the radio. How about turning it on? The radio? Yeah. Sure. Set her around 1100. We ought to get some news in a few minutes. I'd like to hear whether they caught that fellow. That awful mass murderer? Uh-huh. They spotted him in L.A. this afternoon, but he got away. I know. You told us at supper. It makes you shiver. Don't worry. He won't get away with it. We left the lights of Beverly Hills behind and turned into Coldwater Canyon. It's as quick a way as any to get us across the Hollywood Hills to the valley. It's dark in the canyon, quiet, with mighty little traffic at night. I cut my lights up full and we swept up the side of the ridge. News program came on, but I didn't pay much attention. The fellow was talking about brush fires. They'd already put out one near my place, though they were still patrolling it. We were over the ridge and sliding down to the valley before the program got to the part I wanted to hear. There it is. Pick it up higher, Ellie. And now the latest news on the New Hampshire murderer. Two weeks ago, Lewis Matrick wiped out an entire family in Greenlee, New Hampshire. Today, he was spotted 3,000 miles from the scene of his crime. At 5.30 this afternoon, a patrolman saw and definitely identified Matrick in downtown Los Angeles. He is here. However, by darting through heavy traffic at the risk of his life, the killer was again able to make his escape. According to neighbors of the slaughtered family, Matrick first appeared in Greenlee about a year ago. From fingerprints in the Nolan home, Lewis Matrick has been identified as Lloyd Matthews, ex-convict. He is wanted for questioning in the robbery and murder of a New York storekeeper a year ago. Oh, my. A crime that netted the killer less than $20. Can you imagine? Matrick, or Matthews, is 32 years old, height 5 feet 9 inches, weight 155 pounds. He has blue eyes, light brown hair, nose slanted to the left. When seen this afternoon, he was wearing a blue suit and a gray pork pie hat. He... Awful, awful. Not pretty, no. And he's somewhere around L.A. this minute. Joe? Hmm? You think it's right us leaving Annie and Bud all alone while we... Now, Ellen... Annie's grown up, and Bud's a smart youngster, if I do say so myself. You can't wrap kids in cotton wool. I know. <laughs> oh, I'm silly, I guess. Neighbors close all around. All they'd have to do is yell. 
But what would make a young man do a dreadful thing like that? Could be a lot of things. Maybe he's got a screw loose. Maybe he went nuts over a girl. Maybe he gets a kick out of killing like you some of... You know all the answers, don't you? Oh, Joe! Hey, what the... Keep going. Go on, keep going. I got a gun here and I'll use it. Telling you. Ellie? Against the back of my neck. I can feel it. Cold. Well, are you gonna move? Okay. Okay, brother. Oh. You're the boss. You said it. I'm boss. And remember it. Otherwise, I'll blow a hole through your wife's head. <laughs> I've had experience in these things. For suspense, Autolite is bringing you Fibber McGee and Molly in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. I've got to run. My wife, Mary, just called up and said someone stole our Autolite resistor spark plugs right out of the engine of our car. Gosh, Hap, I didn't know they were that precious. Skip along. Uh, so long. Oh, that Mary. What a girl. She's wonderful. I said to Hap the other day, she's got everything an Autolite resistor spark plug's got. Hap comes right back and says to me, has she got a 10,000-ohm resistor? Does she save me gas and money, Harlow? And then right away, he says, tell me this. Does Mary improve radio and television reception? Well, by Cornelius, I couldn't stand it any longer. What's Mary got to do with that, I cried. Nothing, shouts the triumphant Hap. Right, I shout back, but by Cornelius, those sleek, slim, trim, smart, swift, starting auto light resistor spark plugs have. Why, when it comes to plugs, even mine, there's no plug as good as a set of auto light resistor spark plugs. And those wonderful wonders are made by the Autolite Company, the marvelous makers of spark plugs, batteries, complete ignition systems, and over 400 automotive, aviation, and marine parts. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Fibber McGee and Molly in Backseat Driver, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I drove that car like we were skirting the rim of the Grand Canyon with nothing between us on the bottom but a mile of country air. This was it thing that happens to other people, to the ones that end up on slabs in the morgue, but not to me, not to Ellie. The first car we'd seen since we left traffic swooped down behind us. It passed, but not before the headlights caught our passenger clean in my rearview mirror. He was hunched forward, sitting on the edge of the back seat so he could keep the gun rammed into the nap of Ellie's neck. He had light brown hair, pale eyes, and a nose that slanted. His mouth twitched, jittery. As the car went by, his eyes caught mine in the mirror and flickered. Keep your eyes on the road. Sure, sure. Lose your hat? Bright boy. Like I said, you know all the answers. No, I didn't lose it. I stuffed it down a drain. You're still wearing the blue suit, though. I figured it changed pretty quick now. Think yours will fit me? You can have the suit and the car. Just Ellen, let it... Ellen. Joe, it's Matrick. <laughs> the missus is bright, too. He crawled in here while we were in the movie. Joe, you should have had the car door fixed. You know better. Honey, I meant to. I was going to tend to that tomorrow. Shut up. Let's see if you can both be bright enough to keep your trap shut. Turn left on Ventura. Take the slow lane. And don't try playing no tricks. I've been in this burg before. Okay by me. That's real white of you. Straight out to open country, Mac. 
Then I'll take the missus up on that offer of the suit and car. What happens to us? Why, you just walk home. What else? Play it safe and you ain't got a thing to worry about. That was a laugh, that was. Nothing to worry about. That'd kill you. Once we got out into open country, we'd have a chance of walking away from the car. All a murderer can hope for is time. He doesn't leave witnesses around to get the law on his tail one second sooner than necessary. All I could do was stall and pray and make what feeble gestures I could at Lady Luck. The thing that came into my mind was so risky it brought my hair up on end. But there was a chance, provided that trigger finger didn't start jerking. In the bright lights of the boulevard, I didn't think he'd notice, but a traffic officer would. I turned into Ventura and took the far lane, obedient as a whip pup. Must have made two or three miles before I heard what I was hoping for. What's that? Huh? Oh, the siren? Why, an ambulance, I guess. We hear a lot of that them That ain't here. no ambulance. It's a motorcycle cop. Joe, it's young Mike Kennedy. He patrols this stretch. What are you up to? What are you trying to pull? Nothing. The kid's a friend of us. Think our... you can get me easy, huh? Well, I warned you. I ain't going alone. You ask listen, for it. Listen, listen, will you? The kid lives near us, practically grew up under our feet. All he wants is to pass the time of day or maybe send a message to our Annie. Yeah? Yeah. You start popping now and we'll all be dead. Keep your shirt on and I'll get rid of him. Okay. But it better be good. I pulled to the curb and Mike came up alongside. He sat balancing the bike between his knees and the grin on his face was a mile wide. It had worked. At least we were still alive and Mike wasn't two feet away. But where did we go from here? I had to think, but my brain was wet wool. My tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth. Well, what do you know if it isn't Uncle Joe? Something <laughs> funny, kid? After all the times you've read us the riot act about observing the letter of the law. Oh, brother, wait till I tell Annie. Mike Kennedy, <laughs> what's the matter with you? I didn't notice anything wrong. Hi, Aunt Ellie. Uh, nothing much the matter. Just Uncle Joe here proceeding sedately out the boulevard with his headlights up full. Headlights? By golly, that's right. I must have forgotten it, didn't I? You oughtn't to forget those things, Joe. Someday a big bad cop might come along and haul you off to the state. Hey, is that Annie back there? No, no, it, it isn't. It's, it's our new neighbor, Mike, uh, Mr. Uh, Anderson. Oh, that right. Uh, glad to meet you, sir. Hello? I didn't know there were... Any vacancies out our way? Well, there weren't until recently. Uh, Mr. Anderson has taken over the, the Charles place. The Charles place? Are you kidding? No. Nope. Looks like things got too much for old man Charles at last. He's clearing out for good. Uh, kind of sudden, wasn't it? I guess so. Well, that's too bad. Uh, for old man Charles, I mean. Mighty nice for Mr. Anderson, though. Good places are hard to find these days. All right, Uncle Joe. I'll let you off this time. Give my love to Annie. Mike! Watch it. Yes, sir? Uh, nothing. Just come see us soon, boy. Always glad to have you. Thanks. I'll be around my next night off. I've got a date with Annie. So long. That was that. Mike turned his bike and headed back down the boulevard. The chance had come and gone. Felt to me like half my mind went off with the boy yelling at him. Must have been half a minute before I could pull myself together and ease back into traffic. Nobody said anything. 
I didn't dare to, and neither did Ellie. I couldn't see her, but I could feel her holding herself stiff as a ramrod, scared even to turn her head. When two people have lived together as long as we have, each one knows what the other one is thinking. I went back to driving and praying. That and cutting my eyes up to the mirror, just in case there might be a white motorcycle eye following us. There wasn't, of course. Back in the back, I knew he was watching, too. Those flickering eyes darting like lightning between us and the rear window. He was too busy checking to talk. Not that that helped much. Rage and fear were pouring out of him so thick you could have grabbed a hunk of the atmosphere in your hand. It was queer to drive along like that on the crowded highway. Traffic streaming both ways. Lights from drugstores and cocktail joints and eating houses blazing to the sky. And to know if I lifted a finger for help, I'd sign our death warrants. It had to be luck, all luck. There was still a chance I'd get it. The way I figured it, we'd started out with just about enough gas to get us back to Bill's station. When we hit that, the meter ought to show empty. The gas gauge was hidden from me by the rim of the steering wheel, but I was pretty sure I was right. I waited until I saw the red and green lights above Bill's pumps a block and a half away. And very slow and easy, I slumped over for a peek at the gauge. I leaned just too far. Shut up! Sure. What now? What were you looking at? I was just easing the crick out of my neck. Yes, you was. He was looking at the dash. You... Oh, so that's it. Fresh out of gas. Look, I just remembered... Don't give me that. You knew it all along. From now on, you keep your hands on the wheel, Mac, but leave me do the driving. Turn into that filling station. Get high test gas and fill her up. Hi, Joe. Hi, Bill. Evening, Hello, Ellie. Bill. Oh, evening, sir. Uh, up to the top? Yeah, Ethel. Ethel it is. Here you've been to the pictures, eh? Uh-huh. You people know everybody in the whole valley? We've lived here 30 years, from back when the, this was just farmland. Of course, we know lots of people. I don't like it. Get the gas and get out. Say, uh, I was up to Miranda's for supper. That right? Oh, boy, her chili gets better every time. Don't see how it can, but it does. Uh, she's saving some for you. Said you'd be around after the show. Oh, my. I saw Miranda this afternoon and told her we'd be by for sure, Joe. Uh, that'll be $3.50 on the nose. Three and 50 mm. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, same to you. What was all that about? Nothing much. Come on, come on. I got to ask you everything twice. Miranda runs a drive-in up the road a ways. On show nights, we usually drop in for a carton of chili to take home. I just hope she won't call home when we don't show up and get Annie all worried. Wait a minute. Drive-in, you said? Yeah. And this Miranda could start checking on you? I didn't mean it like that. It's she just... She could call your Annie, and between the two of them, they'd have the cops on the lookout for you before midnight. You're crazy. Like a fox. I ain't kept ahead of the buttons all this time by taking chances. We'll just pick up that chili, Mac. You want to go to Miranda's? Why not? Leave Annie get a beauty sleep. I can cover a lot of ground before tomorrow morning. I ain't eaten so good lately, I could use the food too. And with you and the missus the front for me? <laughs> What's to worry about? He was right about that. I went back to driving and praying. Miranda's place is one of those goldfish bowls. Mostly glass with light pouring out across the space mark for outside service. She saw us pulling up, grabbed a quart carton off the back shelf and hustled to the door. 
are, Ellie. I was just saying to Betsy, better fix up that chili, Betsy. It's about time Ellie and Joe was showing up, figuring the distance from Beverly Hills. Thank you, Miranda. Who's that in the back seat? I don't seem to recollect your face, young man, though anybody will tell you I never forget a face. Well, uh, this is Mr. Anderson, Miranda. He just came out here from the, from the east. Oh, is that a fact? Say, Joe, you planning to go straight up Ventura home? Sure, why? Oh, don't you do it. Go the back way, even if it does take longer. Of course, the brush fire between here and your place is out, but there are still 50, 60 men patrolling it. What's that? Oh, but that ain't nothing to what's going on further out the valley. That new fire's clean out of control, licking up hundreds of acres. Well, they've been sending truckloads of firefighters past here all evening, and the road's blocked for miles, the road's they blocked. tell me. For miles, they tell me, and all them poor ranchers losing their homes. Being from the east, you wouldn't understand. But brush fires is awful things once they get out. Thanks. Start moving. We take the back way to your house. To our house? What say? Oh, you stay in with Ellie and Joe? Uh, yeah, until the roads, uh, until I can get into my own place. What are we waiting for? Night, Miranda. Well, goodbye. Uh, be sure you come see me, Mr. Anderson. I'll be looking for you. So there it was. We weren't going to the country. We weren't going to be left to rot at the foot of a cliff or buried deep in brush. No, we were going home, home to the kids, and taking a murderer with us. I still couldn't see Ellie, but I could feel her tensing up, tight as a pulled drawstring. Mr. Matrick, you, you didn't mean what you said, did you, about uh, coming home with us? You know a better place I can hide out till the road's open? But it wouldn't be safe. We've got neighbors close all around. If somebody sees you... Nobody will see me. Nobody better. Joe, uh, couldn't we get around the fire? Yeah, that'd be better. We could try. There are other roads through the valley. Listen, Matrick, we'll nose around and find a way through somehow. Cut it out. You heard the old biddy. Hundreds of acres burning. Firefighters, cops. Get off the highway. We're going home. No, no, I won't have it. Joe, you stop the car right here. Shut up. You heard me, Joe. I won't have him in my house, not with Annie and Bob. I said shut up. For Lord's sake, Ellie. It doesn't matter about us, but the kids, I won't let him... One word out of you! No, stop! Ellen, hush. Oh, Joe. Don't say another thing. I'm sorry, honey. Matrix the boss. We gotta do like he says. That's telling her. Sure. Do like I say, and everything will be rosy. You got no call to worry about the kids. I like kids. As long as nobody gives me the brush off. We'll, we'll wake them up soon as we get home. And you and this Annie can fix up a chilly supper for us. We'll have us a picnic. And then, as soon as the fire's out, we'll all take a trip to the country. <laughs> Another picnic, huh? <laughs> <laughs> keep going. As long as you're breathing, you keep going. Even when it looks like there's no way out, you hang on by your toenails. We poked up and down those black valley streets that twist and turn and sometimes wind up in dead ends. Ellie stopped crying after a while. She slumped down with her head rolling on the seat back, limp as a rag doll with the stuffing leaked out. It took a long time, but it had to come to an end. I saw the bulk of the house looming up. There was light sneaking around the edges of the blinds up in Annie's room. She wasn't asleep after all. 
she'd be sitting up in bed, maybe plastering red stuff on her fingers and dreaming about the date with Mike. Bud's room was dark. He'd be wrapped in covers like in a cocoon and dreaming whatever boys dream I couldn't remember. Pulled up to the concrete walk I'd poured with my own hands before there was any Annie or Bud. And I cut the lights. In a second or two, my eyes got used to the dark. I could make out the high head jelly planted around the place and the roof rising up beyond it. Out, missus. Face the house. Now you, Mac. Slide out the same side. Stand beside her. Walk to the door. Slow and no funny business. I'm right behind you. Ellie, honey, you all right? All right, indeed. Smack flat on my face on a concrete walk and you falling on me. <laughs> Nothing wrong with her. <laughs> That's my girl. Oh, well, don't just stand there. Help me up. Here you are. Oh, I've got to get in the house before the kids come busting out here. I won't have them mixed up in this. Well, how's he doing, boys? Got him through the gun hand on the right shoulder. See? <laughs> a lucky shot, copper. If you weren't lucky, you'd all be cold meat now. Maybe. Matrick, isn't it, Uncle Joe? That's him. Miranda described him to you, eh? The old girl didn't miss a trick. <laughs> she even knew you were taking the back way home. You left a clear trail, Uncle Joe. Slick work. I had to get him out of the car before the fireworks started. Ellie didn't stand a chance. She helped, though. Ellie catches on quick. How bad? A mean guy like Matrick. Make him think you don't want to do something, and he'll break his neck doing it. I let on I was trying to run out of gas. That got us to Bill's. Then we both made out there was no sense going to Miranda's, so we got bullied into going to Miranda's. It was a thousand to one she'd run off at the mouth about the brush fires and scare him into hiding out. After that, all Ellie had to do was turn on the hysterics. He was dead set on coming here. <laughs> Bright boy, like I said. Bright enough. You did all right, too, Mike. I was watching the rearview mirror all the time you were tailing us, but you never showed. You knew I was there, though. When one officer starts double-talking another officer, he wants to know why. <laughs> officer, double-talk. You never said a thing to him except that I'd bought some place out here. Yeah, the Charles place. Poor old man Charles. <laughs> In a tough spot and moving out for good. Well, what's wrong with that? Matrick, didn't anybody ever tell you it wasn't smart to take up with strangers? Maybe I'd better introduce myself. The name's Charles. Joe Charles. Detective, homicide. Tonight I was off duty and was just taking my wife to a movie.
Thanks for stopping by. Remember to tell a friend about Roy's Diner and send us a review next time you have a chance. We bring new episodes every Wednesday and Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We're a proud part of the 1001 Stories Network, heard worldwide with listeners numbering in the millions. We hope you stop by again soon. Thanks for being with us.